All right, we're in Proverbs chapter 11 for our study. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. <clears throat> Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Right? The word for counsel used in the negative, of course, here in the first part is the word takbula. Takbula, the root of the word, literally means the administration of the ropes. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? That's what it literally means, though, the administration of the ropes. It's actually a nautical term for a for a sailor that steers a ship, obviously the ship being a sailing vessel and the ropes being that which is administered to uh, move the sails. And uh, so the word came to mean that which had to do with direction or guidance, the pulling of the ropes to uh, guide a ship. So you have one translation that has it, the lack of a helmsman, the lack of, an, of a helmsman uh, or by the lack of a helmsman, the people fall. Now, the the word is is used uh, six times, other than this in the or six times total in the Old Testament. Let's just look at them. All of them are in Proverbs except for one. So let's look at the one that's not first of all. Job 37, verse 12. Job 37. <coughs> And verse 12. It's talking here about the the matter of the clouds um, and the clouds being uh, maneuvered around in the skies. And uh, it, it let's, if you read verse uh, 10, it, it kind of picks up the thought. By the breath of God, frost is given. The breadth of the waters is narrowed. Also by watering he, God, uh, wearieth the thick cloud, he scattereth his bright cloud, and it, that is the cloud, is turned round about by his counsels, by his maneuvering the ropes, if you please, by his pulling the strings. He moves the clouds in the sky by uh, his counsels that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. God maneuvering clouds. The idea of steering or guiding or giving direction to. That's the, the idea of this particular word. Proverbs 1 5. Proverbs 1 5. A wise man, Chokmah, the skillful man, will hear. Uh, he will uh, hear uh, intelligently. He'll be listening carefully and will increase his learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. There's the word again. That which is the maneuvering of the ropes. Proverbs 12 and verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but, now negatively speaking, the counsels of the wicked are deceit. The way the, the, way the um, wicked try to pull the strings and pull the ropes and steer 
uh, are by the means of deceit. So that's why Psalm 1 says that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsels of the ungodly, different word for counsel, but blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Uh, since they uh, uh, steer their ship with deceit, you don't want them steering you. That's uh, uh, probably a good application of that. Proverbs 20 and verse 18. Proverbs 20 and verse 18. Every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. Now in actual fact, the word advice here is, uh, is our word and a different word for counsel. But uh, with good advice, with the, the, the proper kind of direction and steering, you make war. Now, that's not encouraging a warlike attitude. But it's uh, saying that before you go to war, you had better make sure that you've got proper counsel. And uh, I think that it's wise always, no matter uh, what you're doing, to have that counsel. But in that verse... It speaks especially of war. Same thing in Proverbs 24, 6, where it says, For by wise counsel, there the word counsel, uh, again, thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Now you, you've got the whole concept then. Uh, as far as the wicked are concerned, their counsel is vain and empty and, and deceitful, and you should avoid that kind of counsel. Uh, when it comes to the matter of, of making major decisions here in this text in chapter 11, uh, you should have proper counsel. If you don't have that counsel, uh, there, then failure may be your lot. And uh, in addition, if you're going to go to war, uh, then you want to be sure that you have that proper, proper counsel. Now the same theme, basically, though not that word, is found in several other places in Proverbs. Proverbs 15:22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. Chapter 20, verse 18, uh, the other part, other half of the verse, uh, where the word counsel is used, uh, but a different word. And then in uh, uh, chapter 24 and verse 6, again, uh, the the word for counselor there is, again, the different word. Uh, Moffat translates this for a lack of statesmanship. We've got a lot of politicians these days. We don't necessarily have a lot of statesmen. Um, another trans, uh, translates it in a paraphrase, uh, the idea of the wise direction on the course of life. And uh, uh, the, in, a, uh, in the margin, uh, steering the ship of state. Now, in actual fact, it is it is being used in this particular place as a as a political term, as the idea of of, of one who is in a position of authority and leadership. Such an individual should attain unto wise counsels. Used negative negatively here, as we mentioned. Uh, because it's where there no counsel is, uh, with no one guiding, with no one at the helm, with no one pulling the ropes uh, along with you, uh, the people fall. There needs to be uh, that, uh, that counsel. The word for people is the word am. 
am, people, uh, or a nation. Uh, it is, uh, I remember um, in the book of Hosea, um, the, the one child of Hosea's wife, uh, Gomer, was, uh, I'm get it right here, A-M-M-I, Ame, not my people, the negative of Am, not my people, not my nation, not, uh, the reason was because uh, the, the son was an illegitimate son, and, uh, and God declared uh, that, uh, that, uh, they, that the people of Israel were, were like an Ill illegitimate child. You're not my people. Then after Gomer was restored, uh, he said, your name is now going to be called Am, my people. And, uh, but Ame uh, is not my people. And so uh, the people or the nation are in view here. So that's why we understand uh, this idea of steering the ship is the idea of steering the nation, steering the, uh, the, the body of people. And the people are the consequence of that lack of uh, direction, that lack of counsel, uh, is that the people will fall. And the word is nafal. A fall means to be cast down. Often it means just simply to fail. And uh, the, the word, the way it's used in the Old Testament as a primary sense is the idea of a violent overthrow, a violent fall. It's not simply uh, falling down and skinning your knee, but rather a violent fall. The verb's used no less than 365 times in the Old Testament. Um, it speaks in Isaiah 30. And verse 13 of a falling wall in Judges 20 and verse 44 it speaks of falling in battle uh, in Lamentations 1 7 when the Lamentations of Jeremiah were written the city of Jerusalem had just fallen and the idea was that they had fallen into enemy hands and the word is used to speak of falling into enemy hands first uh, Chronicles 20 and verse 8 it's used to speak of falling by the hand of an opponent all violent falls. A uh, nation without counselor is like a like a ship in the midst of the rock without a pilot. That's the the thing that's that's being said here. It's one reason why righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people because righteousness leads to wise counsels. And when there is righteousness and there that is the fiber of the nation, there is the freedom to bring forth the counsel that, that is in accordance with righteousness. And when man does not have righteous counsel, he has counsel without a standard. The idea of righteousness is that of the plumb line, that of a standard being set. The plumb line was held over the wall of Jerusalem. God says the plumb line is straight, and by my plumb line your wall is crooked. Speaking of the iniquity of the people. That line I just drew isn't straight enough. Uh, because God's line is perfectly plumb. If I take a, a, a piece of, uh, of uh, cord and attach a weight to it and hold it, uh, it will be straight up and down. It'll be perfectly perpendicular. And I can tell whether a wall is straight or not. And uh, I can tell uh, whether a stick is straight or whether a, any standard is straight. The, the plumb line because the law of gravity pulls it in its shortest direction, a straight line is the shortest distance between two points, therefore that line is straight. And if you are building a house and you build it, uh, 
and then hold a plumb line up, and the plumb line is uh, off, you don't change the plumb line. You bring the wall in accordance with the plumb line. But see, what man in his backward thinking today is doing is he holds God's plumb line up to the wall. He finds out the plumb line must be off, so he moves the plumb line. Whenever you're dealing with Scripture, you're dealing with the plumb line. God says, this is right. Now conform to it. And we realize that in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16... In 17, when it says that all Scripture is God-breathed, it says all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine simply tells you what is, tells you what's right, tells you what God's standard is. And he sets up the plumb line, if you please. God says, this is my doctrine. It will fall down upon you like dew. It'll pour down upon you like rain. This is the, this is the right this is the right way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Turn not to your right hand or to your left. I was studying uh, with the elders last night from Psalm 119. And the last section, Psalm 119, talks about how the Word of God affects your mind and how it affects your body, how it affects your, your will, how it affects your emotions, how it affects your tongue, how it affects your conscience. And you go through that psalm and you see over and over again the, the, the concept of God steering you every way he wants you to go. And, uh, and time after time, though the words are used differently, the bottom line is, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. This is the standard. And so we, we're given doctrine. We're given, we're given reproof. Reproof comes as you read scripture and realize you don't meet the standard. That's the reproof that comes to us. I look at the I look at the standard and I realize how far short I come. But I don't change the standard because the word of God is also given for the purpose of correction in righteousness. Correction in righteousness. You don't change the standard to suit the man. You change the man to suit the standard. I got a call uh, yesterday, and uh, someone had uh, counseled with Dave Graff back in August, and he had given some biblical counsel. And this person picks up the phone in April to call to inform me of the counsel that he'd given, hoping that I would side with them against what David said. The only trouble was he had the Bible on his side, so I sided with him, which made the person very upset. I can imagine, been stewing in, in their own juice ever since August. I finally got, a, got around to picking up the phone and calling me to tell me how unhappy they were with that terrible advice that this given. And it was funny because I said, I said, uh, well, did you know that the Bible says this? Yes. Did you know the Bible says this? Yes. You know the Bible said this? Yes. You know the Bible said this? Yes. Well, then what's wrong? That's what he told you. Oh, but you don't understand. And then she take all the things that, that you know and you change the standard, you see. And the, the guise that was used was this. I know it was the will of God because I prayed about it. That's so old, you know. I mean, you'd think somebody'd learn not try to use that line on me. <laughs> I prayed about it. Whoever said that prayer was saying to God, God, your standard's wrong. I'm moving it. That's not prayer. That's blasphemy. 
that the standard is perfect. Say so correction in, righteous, uh, in righteousness and then instruction. And I, I think that, that it's high time that we recognize that God's standard is right. And that anything other than God's standard is a deviation from what is right. And what is best in every instance for us. We'd like to move it around. We'd like to change it. We can't. But you see, the, the, the counsel that God wants us to have is a righteous counsel. And when righteousness is in the fiber of a nation, that counsel is, is uh, able to be able to abound. And uh, when, you, when you have an evil nation, then that kind of counsel is suppressed. And I won't uh, go into detail as to what we often hear on the news and, and uh, read in the paper and so on and so forth. I'll tell you this, the, the counsel that is given by people who claim to know is so often a counsel that is contrary to the word of God. We follow foolish counsel, the counsel of the ungodly, then we have problems. But when we have a wise counsel, when we have those that are steering the, stip, the ship straight, then it will be to our benefit. Now, it's a sign of divine judgment, a sign of divine judgment whenever you have no wise counselors in a nation or a minimum of wise counselors. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 3. Now, there are a number of things that God removes from a nation. And uh, when that nation is under divine judgment, God does not begin by sending mass destruction upon a nation. A nation falls, first of all, inwardly and morally. I think probably most of you have heard uh, uh, former President Lincoln's speech in the uh, um, Lincoln uh, Theater or whatever they call it uh, at uh, Disneyland. Uh, and uh, that particular speech says it very well when he says that no giant hand is going to come across the sea and gobble the nation up, if the nation falls, it will fall at its own hands. It will fall inwardly. And that's, that's, that's wise words coming from uh, a man who was steering the ship of state at the time that he said them. In Isaiah chapter 3, it makes clear that that kind of wisdom and that kind of statesmanship is absent as or is removed from a nation as some of the first signs of judgment. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread, and the whole stay of water, physical nourishment. There comes as a part of the judgment that comes upon a nation uh, there comes economic crisis. And of course, in an agricultural land, a lack of water and a lack of grain obviously is economic disaster. 
It may be something different in another nation, but this is written to the nation of Israel. So this is a is a picture of the, uh, the coming of that judgment. Then not only that, but the mighty man and the man of war, weakness militarily, and the judge. Now, we're talking about a weak-willed person in a court. Men that are unable to make judgments, unable to be uh, definitive and enforce the laws of the land. It's another thing. And the prophet, the prophet, the one that's speaking the, the word of God, and the prudent, the wise, and the ancient. Now, the prudent and the ancient in particular, along with the prophet on occasion, were those that were the expounders of counsel. And the wisdom of old men was always that that stood the nation in good stead. Now, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to me to realize that there is a dearth of really wise old men today. The ancient, those that that sit in the gates of the city to advise, and the advice is good. We've got a lot of slick, uh, younger people that rise to the fore in the political world, and uh, some of the men were like that when they came into politics, and they now have gotten a gray hair or two, but they haven't gotten any wiser. And uh, they, they're not men uh, that could be considered in the biblical sense the ancient because they've not learned from their years of experience. Uh, they've, they have continued to, to, to go uh, the selfish way. And uh, so you have to be, have to be careful uh, in a nation like ours not to think that just because a man has white hair that he has wisdom. The book of Proverbs says that, that the man... Uh, who has white hair is to be respected as a counselor if his way is in the way of righteousness. If it's not, then he, he's disqualified himself. All right, so uh, there is the, the lack of that kind of counsel. Then on in verse, uh, verse 3, it says, uh, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor there you have it specifically. The counselor, the one that can give wise advice, the one that can, that can instruct others, that counselor, and then the skillful craftsman. There's another, another problem. See how, I'll tell you, we can put our nation right down here and begin to wonder if maybe we aren't moving toward impending judgment because we are lacking these very things. How many how many real craftsmen do we have left in our nation? How many, how many people do we have making things, manufacturing things, that take real pride in their work? The craftsman, no. And the eloquent orator. The, eloquent, uh, the word eloquent is from our old friend, B-I-Y-N, Bean, which means to separate between or to discern. The discerning speaker, the one who is able to speak but able to discern. That's, that's a, a picture of a nation ripe for judgment. And then it says, I will give, give children to be their princes. 
and babes shall rule over them. God puts novices, allows the novices to take the reins of government because it is a sign and a picture of judgment. Look at uh, Isaiah 19 and verses 11 through 14. Now it's talking not about Israel, but about Egypt, right? Egypt is going to fall. And it says, surely the princes of Zoan are fools. This is getting ready for their final destruction. Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The council of the wise counselors of Pharaoh has become stupid. That word uh, brutish that is used simply means stupid, dense, thick-headed. Right? How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of the ancient kings? Where are they? Where are thy wise men? Let them tell thee now. Let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Memphis are deceived. And this idea of uh, Naf being Memphis, the place where uh, there was such... Uh, 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 leadership at one period of history. The, the cultural center along with Alexandria, uh, the place of great cultural learning and the, the place of, of very high intellect. Where are they now? They're, the princes of Memphis are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are the stay of its tribes. And the Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst of it, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work of it, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, branch or rush may do. It's going to be wiped out. All right? So the, the concept and the idea of the nation falling uh, because of a lack of counselors is really tied to the idea that when God judges a nation, one of the things he does is remove those that have wise counsel and uh, pull them out of there. Now, you know, I hope, I hope and I pray our nation isn't so far gone that God has removed it entirely. I hope that. I love our nation. But don't you see the signs on the horizon of the lack of counselors? And where there is no counselor, or where the counselors, the counselors are are put aside. Now, one of the things that happened, particularly in the time of Jeremiah, was um, that the nation had, had gone so far gone that um, they would go along for a while and they would get in trouble. And when they got in trouble, they'd say, "Jeremiah, prophesy." So Jeremiah would prophesy their doom, and they'd say, "Don't prophesy that." So they'd throw him in jail. And they'd saw him asunder and they would persecute him and all of the rest because of the counsel that he gave. And uh, remember that uh, at one time one of the, one of the kings uh, uh, decided he was going to cut up the scroll that Jeremiah had made. He thought that cutting up the scroll would destroy the council. He said that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come. Nebuchadnezzar's going to wipe you out. You're going to be under three sieges. And uh, the final one will be your final destruction. The walls will be broken down. And he told them all that. And they said, oh, that's not good. So they you know, tore the scroll up and threw it in the fire. He just wrote another one. Same council. 
Same song, second verse, a little louder and a little worse. But he did it because it was right. It was God's word. And so you see, it's not only that the nation sometimes lacks a counselor, but that the counselor has no say in what will ultimately happen. Now there are some wise voices today that are screaming around the, the country as to what is happening in our nation as we continue to abort a million babies every year. And uh, the, the, the destruction, there's no nation in the world that has stood very long after they began destroying children. And there, were, there are a number of nations uh, that have a case in point, and Israel was one of them. Israel offered their children on an altar to Molech, a god that demanded blood. And they were worshiping false idols. And you think God was really bad to send them into captivity just for a little thing like worshiping idols. But when you got child sacrifice involved, you're, you're, you're on the skids, folks. But we're, that's, all, that's all we're doing with abortion today is uh, killing babies so that people can have the convenience of not having that child, not being cluttered up with it. The concept and idea of materialism being the God and people going ahead and doing it. And there are people that are in high places today that are saying repeatedly, we understand from history that this happens. But one thing we learn from history is we never learn from history. And uh, the nation is is going that direction. Uh, the, the, the idea of of uh, drugs being rampant. I, I was just amused the other day. I was just browsing through a newspaper. It was interesting to find that the same people that are saying we don't want um, nuclear energy because it's going to annihilate the race are in are, are favor of abortion. We can kill our babies like, our, like we want to, but we don't want everybody killed. We don't want us killed. The same people that advocate the abortion of babies also are against capital punishment. Let the criminal live. Kill the baby. Now, kill him before he's born, then we won't have the criminal problem. You really believe that's true? I got news for you. They're discovering something amazing. This is really fascinating. They're discovering, I said way back when they first passed the Supreme Court ruling, I said, you watch. There will be an increase in female suicides as a result of abortion because the, the matter of a, 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 a sin is a matter of the conscience, not a matter of the intellect. You can convince someone it's all right to abort their baby. You'll never convince their conscience. And that conscience will drive them crazy until finally some of them can't stand it and there'll be an increase in female suicides. But I read an article the other day that says that there's been an increase in male suicides as well as female suicides because the male that is involved can't handle it any more than the female. It never occurred to me that that would happen. The gal, the, the gal gets pregnant, and uh, the guy who's guilty of that pregnancy um, doesn't have a lot of times even any choice in the thing, of course, and probably rightly so, but the gal decides to get an abortion, and not only does she suffer, he suffers. And we've got a society of a bunch of people walking around with this tremendous load of guilt on their shoulders, and they can't stand themselves anymore until finally they take their own life. It's a rampant thing. 
But you see, our nation is in that condition. And when the counselors cry out and say, please stop this madness, somebody has to stop this madness. Now, whether, you, whether certain kinds of legislation are better than other kinds of legislation, I don't know. But there are people who care about this particular problem. This is only one. I guess maybe another one is that, that um, I don't know uh, all the ramifications of everything. But I know this, that the scripture says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. And our government is guilty of violating that a trillion times over. And something has to, has to happen to get the government to pay its bills, not to live beyond its means. I, you know, one of the reasons that I, that I wonder if Reagan might not be on the right track on this is simply because the principle is very simple. That if we cut government to the place that they are living within their means, we'll, we'll accomplish two things. We'll pay our bills and not incur further debt, and we will have a, a, a better controlled bureaucracy. But you see, the problem is we get so fat and sassy, we can just live on credit the rest of our lives. Someday it has to come to an end. Anybody knows that. See? Now that's, that seems to me to be good, sound wisdom. With my lack of real understanding of all the intricate things of finance, I, I tend to be somewhat simplistic, because I believe that uh, if you got a dollar, you can spend a dollar, and if you spend a dollar ten, you're in debt. And if you're in debt, you're in trouble. And uh, if the government does it a trillion times over, they're in big, big trouble. And uh, somewhere the madness has to stop. And so uh, when counselors say that that is a wise thing, are they being heard? Well, you see, the American people aren't really ready to pay the price of paying their bills. They don't, it makes them kind of uncomfortable when somebody in government says we're going to pay our bills because that makes you and me feel like maybe we ought to pay our bills too. And of course most in this room are, but there are a lot of Americans who aren't. And uh, they're living on credits and living beyond their means and things have become the, the central thing. And uh, we, have to, we have to pray that God will continue to put people with wise counsel in governmental places because if they aren't there, then the next step is ruin. We have to recognize that God's Word, though God's Word does not, is not a book on economy. It is not telling us all the intricate details of how the economy of the country ought to be run. It does give us principles by which a nation will prosper or a nation will fall. Alright, now, in Second Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, chapter 24, let's begin at, uh, well, let's back, I'll just refer back to uh, the uh, first part of the chapter. The, the priests of Israel in uh, verse 4 had been faithless they were not following God's plan and so 23 years went by and they had failed uh, to follow the advice of uh, uh, Jehoiada the priest 
And uh, it says that uh, Joash was raised up to repair the house of the Lord. And they repaired the house of the Lord. And uh, the people came forth in verse, verse 8 uh, down through verse 14 and gave a tremendous offering, to uh, free will offering, uh, to complete uh, the work of the building of the house of the Lord or the repairing of the house of the Lord. And they finally finished it and they offered... Uh, they offered uh, burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of, of Jehoiada. But it says that uh, in verse 15, But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and they served images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he also hath forsaken you. And they conspired against him, and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king, in the court of the house of the Lord, and Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. All right, now notice the sequence of events. Here you have a wise priest, and he gives wise counsel. And as a result of that counsel, the king accomplishes something, though it took too long, Delayed 23 years because of, of uh, uh, sedition in the ranks. Nevertheless, they built, they rebuilt the house of the Lord. They made it fit for worship. But the minute that the old man died, the new counselors came into the picture, the council of the ungodly. And they began to tell the king some good advice. Their good advice. And he listened to what they said. What happened? The result of that council, though we're not told what the specific council was, the, the result of that council was they forsook the house of the Lord and they followed idols. Now, out of the midst of it, God brings a counselor. And that counselor, being a wise man, the son of Jehoiada, steps forth and says, you're doing wrong, right? But you see, the nation now was no longer ready to hear counsel. They were not going to listen to the counsel of the son of the well-known Jehoiada. They'd forgotten what Jehoiada had said and they decided his son doesn't know what he's talking about. These are modern times. We don't, we don't need this kind of silly advice. We don't need all this old religion. We don't need these things that uh, are the foundation of our country. We don't need them anymore. So they silence him. Alright? Look what happens next. And it came to pass at the end of the year 
that the host of Syria came up against them. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came up, uh, came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So he executed judgment against Joash. And Joash died and... Uh, Amaziah became the king. Now, you see, the council removed, God brings new council, but the new council isn't paid, and no one pays attention to it. And so the land is without its counselors. Oh, it's got its counselors all right, but they're evil counselors that counsel according to deceit. And the result is that they, they forsake the Lord and they get further and further away. You see, people talk about the fact you can't legislate morality. But you know, it's so stupid to say that. What they mean is, you can't legislate morality that I don't agree with. Because any law legislates morality. I mean, it's, it is uh, uh, both immoral and, sa and, and uh, unsafe uh, for you to jaywalk. You see? But I mean, there's a moral implication to it. It is your moral obligation to cross the streets. Now, I realize the moral implication of jaywalking isn't nearly as, as uh, pertinent as a lot of other things as we think of morals. But whenever we regulate the conduct of people according to any kind of a pattern, it is legislating morality. You can legislate morality. God legislated morality. I was really thrilled. Just right down to my bootstraps when the when before the uh, before they announced the chariots of fire was the best uh, original screenplay uh, uh, the the guy that uh, uh, that, that announced it uh, having not opened the envelope yet uh, said that uh, if you didn't happen to see it he said that the first original screenplay was given at Mount Sinai and God wrote it and then he said this. He said, if we had followed the script better and not ad-libbed so much, we'd all be better off. I, I just about flipped, you know. But uh, talk about crazy. And then he opens that, that, that thing and, and uh, it says the Chariots of Fire was, was selected for the best screenplay and later on the best picture, uh, which is astounding. If you've, ever, if you've seen that film, it's, it's, a, it's amazing to me and, and I still can't get over it. But... I, I thought that I, I, I discerned that likely the guy that opened that, I, I'm not sure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he was Jewish. He's probably not by any means a Christian, but the guy had a point. God did legislate morality. He told us how to go, where to go, what to do. You can legislate morality. You can make it a crime to do something that is not conform with what is right. And you can punish people accordingly. Uh, you, you get upset when you hear people, I, I really get upset when I hear, hear people say um, that uh, capital punishment doesn't deter crime. How would they ever know? They've never enforced it. They would ever really enforce capital punishment. One thing we know for sure, that when a person follows, the, when a nation follows the law of God, and a person who willfully takes the life of another person is executed, that person doesn't commit the crime again. Now that's just plain logic, right? And, and you, when you enforce that kind of a law, the end result is order in the nation. 
Now, they're not having capital punishment. I don't see order. If anybody can show me the crime rate drastically dropping when we stop punishing criminals, I, I would say from the, from the human standpoint, I would do almost anything to reduce crime at this stage. But they cannot show those statistics. They cannot prove it. They are demonstrating the folly of their own way. And they're living with the fruit of that folly and screaming to the high heavens, what are we going to do? See? Well, there is a way. You follow the counsel of the godly. You follow God's plan. Try it. You'll like it. It works. It always works. Because there is a standard, a righteous standard, that can be, that can mold and shape a nation into a righteous nation. Now, when a, when a nation either has no counselor or the counselors are removed, then he has, that nation is not far from destruction. That's what our verse is saying. Now, in contrast to that, in this antithetical dishtick that we look at here in verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But, that little wow that is used as a contrast repeatedly, in the multitude. This word is R-O-B, robe, the root means much or many. It's an indefinite number of large quantity, all right? And um, used 147 times in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles uses it most in the historical accounts of quantities of people or quantities of materials needed by kings. It's used over and over again in that way. Uh, and uh, the idea, of course, is that there's, there's a multitude of, of counselors. Um, may I say that there is a danger of having too much advice if the advice is not a righteous advice. Uh, look over at uh, Jeremiah 38. Jeremiah 38. In Jeremiah 38, you have the you have the counsel of Jeremiah pitted against a whole host of other, of other uh, uh, counselors. And in this case, the one standing alone is indeed the right counselor, uh, and the others, the multitude of counselors, can be wrong. Remember that the, the counsel of evil men is deceit. And uh, when there is not wise counsel, then uh, the counsel... The council is, is, is not good. The majority isn't always right. But uh, in verse 2 uh, of chapter 38, it says, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the, the, the pestilence. And he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live, for he shall get, uh, have his life for a prize, and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, This city shall surely be given in the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Now the idea was, the advice at this point, the right advice was surrender. Surrender. But the princess said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. Anybody that advocates surrender 
For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city. I, I had to kind of chuckle, and I, I understand now, I don't know what the facts are. And when you don't know the facts, then you, you have to be a little bit careful. But I see a pattern emerging, because there's a segment of our, of our uh, leaders that are saying that uh, we have some catch-up to do militarily in terms of, of the arms race with Soviet Union. And uh, they say that. And what are we hearing from a whole segment on the other side? And it's, an, it's a nonpartisan issue. It doesn't matter whether they're Republicans or Democrats or plutocrats or uh, whatever. You know, it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter who they are uh, because they're just two very clear sides in both parties. And uh, one side says, uh, we've, we've got to be careful here. The other side says, there's no problem. And uh, anybody that says there's a problem is simply trying to discourage the American people. That's precisely what's happening here. Jeremiah says, look, this is a war we can't win. And if you want to save yourself and save the city, surrender. Don't go into a period of siege. Thing was, he was right. He had the word from the Lord. And it was not simple uh, looking at facts. It was a matter of looking to the Lord. The Lord had revealed, this is it, folks. All right? But here's this other segment that says, put this guy to death. He's a traitor. He's a traitor because he says we're weak. We're not weak. We can whip anybody. Just give us a chance. Let this man be put to death, for thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city, and the hands of all the people, in speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of the people, but the harm. <coughs> it's amazing, you see, because what happens is that you can't win for losing. If he didn't say anything, then the people would say, Jeremiah, why didn't you say something? That's one side of it. If he does say something, they say, no, he's wrong, we'll go ahead anyway. Then when the city falls, they say, see, you weaken the hands of the people. You discouraged them so they couldn't fight, and we lost the war. So it's Jeremiah's fault no matter which. And that's the way I, I sometimes I feel, you know, that when, when you have an opportunity to speak up uh, and tell what God says, you might as well go ahead and tell it straight. You're going to be blamed for it either way. So you might as well go ahead and give it to him straight, all right? Okay, so he doesn't seek the welfare of the people. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king is not he who can do anything against you. <laughs> what a weak king. You go ahead and do as you please. I couldn't stop you anyway. Just let him go. You know, the, the, the inmates are running the asylum. Then took they Jeremiah, and they cast him into the dungeon of Malachi, and the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. They let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. What else could you do? Now when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then, sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likely to die of hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. They're already being starved out. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah. He's a yo-yo now, see? The, the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, went into the house of the king under the treasury, 
and took their old rags and worn out garments and they let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, said unto Jeremiah, I mean, you got to get a picture of this king. See, he's sneaking around getting Jeremiah out of the prison. He doesn't want all these people to know what he's done, you know, because the guy's so wishy-washy, you know, he, he doesn't know uh, where he is. He's got a spine like a piece of wet spaghetti. All right. So he says, uh, put now these old rags and worn out garments under thine armpits, under the cord. And Jeremiah did so. And they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Then Zedekiah the king sent, took Jeremiah the prophet unto him in the third entrance that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing. Hide nothing from me. Now I want the truth. Nothing but the truth. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declare unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? If I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken? On, wilt thou hearken unto me? Now he's he's going to he's going to say, look, I'm not so sure. I want to tell you what's true. I tell you what's true. You're going to put me to death. I tell you what's true. You're going to listen to me. You have any intention of obeying what I say? All right. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth, who made us this soul, I will not put thee to death. Neither will I give thee into the hand of those men who seek thy life. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, the God of Israel, If thou wilt surely go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and the city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live in thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then shall this city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire. Thou shalt not escape out of their land. Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. I'm scared. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee, so it shall be well with thee, thy soul shall live. But if thou refuse to go forth, this is the word that the Lord hath shown unto me. Behold, all the women who are left in the house of uh, the, the king of Judah's house shall be brought forth to the king of Babylon's princes, and those women shall say, Thy friends have set thee on, and have prevailed against thee. Thy feet are sunk in the mire, and they are turned away back. So they shall bring out all thy wives and thy children to the Chaldeans, and shalt not escape out of their hand, but shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. Then said Zedekiah unto Jeremiah, Let no man know of these words, and thou shalt not die. But if the prince is here, that I have talked with thee, and they come unto thee, and say unto thee, Declare unto us now what thou hast said unto the king, Hide it not from us, and we will not put thee to death. Also what the king said unto thee. Then thou shalt say unto them, I presented my supplication before the king, that he would not cause me to return to Jothan's house to die there. Then came all the princes unto Jeremiah and asked him. And he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they ceased speaking with him, for the matter was not perceived. So Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And it was there when Jerusalem was taken. Now you, you can see that, that whole picture of, of what's happening here. Here's a weak king, afraid to do the thing that's a hard thing, but the right thing. Afraid to obey the voice of the Lord. Wishy-washy, tossed to and fro. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He won't pay any attention to the counselor. So when it talks about a multitude of counselors bringing safety, it is not talking about just any old counselors. It's talking about those that have wisdom, those that are able to give right and proper counselors. The word for counselors is the word ya'atz. Ya'atz means to advise. 
And uh, the first use in the Old Testament of this word is in Exodus 18:19, the counsel that Jethro gave. And uh, we'll have to pick up on this right there next time. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we think of our nation today. You've told us to pray for those that are in places of authority. And Father, the light of the study this morning, we would pray, give those men and those women in places of leadership the wisdom to listen to counsel that is in accord with righteousness. And Lord, we pray that you would be with our president, with our governor, with our senators and congressmen. We pray, Father, for those even in local government. And we pray that, that yet the voice of righteousness may ring throughout the land. Save us from, from that kind of destruction that comes when there is no wise counsel any longer. And Lord, silence the voices of those counselors that counsel according to deceit. Save us, Lord, from politicians in our nation and in our communities that have self-interest at heart. Give us unselfish men who are willing to stand for that which is right and willing to die if necessary for it. And Lord, bring us back on track. Cause the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate and each individual Christian to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we pray that you will save our nation in these days. Father, we pray that you'll bless these men as they go into the marketplace, as they allow their influence to be felt all around are people that desperately need counsel. Lord, help them to be in the right place at the right time and give the right counsel. Whether it's heated or not, help them to have the courage to speak up for that which is true and that which is right. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a super day today, gentlemen.